Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So have you been watching the NCAA tournament? I have. I've been watching Oral Roberts. They're the, the actually the story of the whole tournament, upsetting Ohio State and Florida. 81-78, the Golden Eagles now on to the round of 16, as is Loyola of Chicago. We're going to talk a little March Madness, baby. And it's a Hollywood story that nobody would believe. The dimple chin quarterback at 43 joins the lovable losers, season teetering on collapse, but then... He leads them to a Super Bowl. Well, they made the movie. NFL Films has the Bucks Super Bowl 55 highlight film. It's out. I'll tell you what we learned by watching it. And the Lightning beat Chicago and Florida over the weekend. Huge performances by both goaltenders. And G-Man Choi may not be ready for opening day with the Rays. We've got all that and more to talk about on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And Steve, I'll tell you that um, my weekend was spent sort of equally uh, watching the Lightning, which I actually went to the game on Saturday against Chicago uh, with the girls, and then Sunday I watched as well. And and going back and forth between that and the NCAA uh, March Madness tournament, and, boy, just some some exciting television and, and sports in general. We'll get to the Lightning here in just a minute. Um, but what I love about the tournament and March Madness, and I think it's it's a little different this year because we've talked about it on this podcast, the blue bloods aren't there in mass, right. As they, as they normally are when you don't see, um, you know, teams like Duke, right. And Kentucky and, and this sort of thing, um, leading the way, it seems a little odd, but, but man, this Oral Roberts team, uh, is captured uh, my imagination. And, uh, of course, you know, they, uh, had the big win over Ohio state and it wasn't a fluke. Like I watched most of that game, they outplayed Ohio State from start to finish. Uh, they were in it the whole way, and uh, they wound up winning, you know, with a missed three-pointer by Ohio State. Similar result. They came from behind against Florida, and it's a Gators team that would have done really, really well to make it to the round of 16. There is no embarrassment overall by that. But Oral Roberts, man, with this uh, Max uh, Abmus and um, Kevin uh, Obenar, I mean, these guys, they, they had 54 points. They don't miss from the free throw line. They were second in the nation in, mm-hmm. in um, foul shooting, 19 of 23. And uh, they get it done against the Gators. It's a great team to watch, man. That's what we love March Madness for. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the George Masons. It's the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the unexpected, and, and particularly in the early rounds. Um, you yeah. know, but, but when you get those double-seeded teams that make it to the Sweet 16, it's fun. You know, right. you've got Oral Roberts this year. Um, you've got UCLA and Abilene Christian, both double seeds going to oh, play, gosh. you know, this yeah. afternoon for a spot. So there's at least a second double seeded team in the Sweet yeah. Actually, Syracuse is 11 seed now. So mm-hmm. what? At least three double digit seeded teams in the Sweet 16. Ohio could yeah. make it. Uh, mm-hmm. North Texas, as we're taping this, is down big in the second half. They're probably not going to. Um, right. But you know, this is what this is what March Madness is all about, man. It's it's the crazy buzzy buzzer beaters. It's the wild plays the unexpected and, and you know if you've ever been to a to a, a march madness site and this year's a little different obviously with covid but 
it's really weird because you you, you, know, you you go to the first round and you got you know I've had tickets before and gone and it, there's four games, but no one's really got a big rooting interest. You know, there's there's pockets for each team, and then there's some from just that live in that city that go to watch basketball, and it's great. But when an underdog starts winning, oh, the place gets electric. The whole place yeah. changes. It, it, yeah. It's all of a sudden it's everybody except for the fans of the team that's the favorite is sure. all all rooting for one team instead of just kind of basketball fans kind of you know just there for the event and it's exciting and, and the momentum and the in all that in the, the arena and the energy just changes when all of a sudden you get those Oral Roberts or you know Abilene Christians it's winning or you yeah. know and it's 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 fun and exciting and you know it, it, that's i mean that's what sports is all about you know my my sons are always you know i have young sons and we'll sit there and say, "Hey, this game's coming up. Well, who's who's going? Who's supposed to win?" I'm like, wow, this team's favored, but that's why you play the game. You never know. That's I mean, right. You know, if we knew, we wouldn't have to watch it. We wouldn't. You know, it, it doesn't matter who's favored. Doesn't matter who's the number one team in the country or or whatever. It's how you play that day when you go. You know, you know mm. they, they play soccer, and there's one team in their league which is really really good, and they're always like, "Well, they're the best team." Well, it doesn't mean they can't be beat. You know they may they may have the best record so far, but it doesn't mean that on a given Saturday you couldn't go out there and beat them. And you know that's what we love sports for. That's right. And there's lessons in all of that. I mean, years ago, um, remember Florida Gulf Coast and Dunk oh, City? Oh, absolutely. Captured yes. the imagination of everybody. Um, Loyola Chicago is back mm-hmm. with Sister Jean, who's 101 years old, I think, and she was there. How about Loyola uh, Chicago knocking off Illinois, the Illinois. big team in the state? Yeah, and you know that those guys competed against each other in high school. You know that some of them were overlooked by Big Ten schools. This is the thing, like, you know, some of these smaller schools, you've got players that have transferred, some of them out of Big Ten schools or or, or Power Five schools for more playing time. Um, Some of them just were overlooked, you know, and you get your chance to go against them, and um, it's the one shining moment, right, that that they they all talk about, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's why this tournament is so. It's still, it's you know, unfortunately, we're we're in the COVID world, and there's only very few smattering of fans, which is more than, um, you know, than we've had during during the regular season. Uh, you mentioned Abilene Christian. I mean, they they knock off Texas. Imagine imagine being a school from Abilene, mm-hmm. uh, knocking off the University of Texas the way they did, and what that must have felt like, you know, uh, for those guys. So, yeah, it's been fun. Um, you know, we'll see how many of them actually get past. You'll get a lot of teams get to the round of 16. How many go beyond that? Who knows? But if fi- a 15 seed uh, beating a, a second seed like uh, Oral Roberts did with Ohio State, I think that's only happened like nine other times. Yeah, eight or, eight or nine. Yeah, times. I think it was the ninth time. So That's right. And yeah. Virginia is the only one seed to lose in the first round. So, really, it's ten times mm-hmm. the top two seeds have lost. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, it's, it's a rare thing. And then for them to advance to the Sweet 16 is even rare. Yeah. Now there was something uh, I'll just bring up real quick that, that uh, we'll we'll be talking about. I'm sure um, you know over the weeks uh, to come. But uh, because you know me, Steve, I'm one of these guys. I'm I'm very having played college sports and 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 you know covered it, um, being familiar with some of the you know this is massive amount of money that is you know uh, made by these universities and some of the you know the NCAA and the larger. Um, athletic departments in particular, I, I don't think that, you know, they, they distribute enough, um, you know, to the players. And I know everybody likes to get in the conversation. Well, you get a free education. Well, it's not free. And, you know, there, there's money, there's more money in the system for everybody, except the, the people that they're, 
um, not paying, which are the players. But that aside, this story uh, that came to light uh, because, frankly, uh, one of the women basketball players, you know, tweeted it out and and, uh, put it on Instagram, whatever, had video of the disparity between, you know, the facilities, the meals, everything between the women's and the men's tournament is just a huge blight on the NCAA. And, you know, you can say what you want, you know, with, uh, with, with Title IX and, you know, the purpose of that and, um, you know, what is monetized or, you know, what is the bigger TV contracts or attendance and all those things. But it was absolutely despicable what the NCAA, you know, they had, if you didn't see it, um, you know, the women are in San Antonio, in Texas, and, you know, they showed uh, the men's facilities in Indianapolis, huge, spacious weight room, tons of racks of weights all over the place. And they had this one little rack of dumbbells um, for the women's uh, weight room. And she was like, you know, this is our weight room. And um, then they said, well, the NCAA said, well, there wasn't enough space. And then she showed this massive ballroom area that was open. Um, they finally corrected it. It also was a disparity in, in the kind of meals that they were they were provided. But it, it just, it, it's, it's the one problem I've ever, always had with the NCAA. Whatever they say is not what they do. And watch what they do, not what they say, because... Um, this, this was a real embarrassing, um, scenario and, and everybody who has, uh, you know, believes in, um, you know, having some kind of, of, uh, uh, of fair treatment, you know, for, for the men and women's programs throughout the nation, um, uh, should, should really be ashamed if you're the NCAA for the way they, for the way they treated, uh, these ladies, uh, who are playing just as hard and, and, you know, if you say you want equality, if you say you want to provide opportunity in college sports uh, for women, then then do it. You know, make it equal, make it as equitable as you can. And um, they certainly failed on every level with that. So um, I thought that was an important story over the weekend. OK, um, so let's uh, we go from March Madness to uh, we'll get, again, we'll, I guess. Well, we could do we could do the lightning now. You want to talk about the lightning now because I thought they had a great weekend. I thought the goaltending did. Yeah, I I will give you that. Like the game I watched, okay, I saw them play Chicago and it was turnover city and I mean the lightning were sloppy in that one. I think they gave away way too many odd man rushes. Uh they had trouble clearing the zone w- with a lot of uh of their passes and uh, I didn't think they played very well. They got away with it largely because Andre Vasilevsky was once again unbelievable. I mean, that guy saves their bacon so many times. It's not that they want to put him in that situation or they go, ah, he'll save it. No, they were just sloppy um, with the puck, and, and I thought Chicago put a lot of pressure on them. Um, the game in the end wasn't uh, that close from a score standpoint, Um but Andre Vasilevsky is is the greatest goaltender in the world, and he certainly showed up. I was interested, Steve. You know, they had this this back to back over the weekend, and since I was going to the game with my girls uh, on Saturday, it was a four o'clock game. I was thinking in my mind that since Florida was playing on Sunday, and they were coming off, you know, this this uh, you know they're in the midst of this five games in seven days, I was pretty sure that Vasilevsky would be saved for Sunday's game against Florida because. You could argue they're the better team, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. right neck and neck in the in the uh, division. So, take me through the psychology. I think this was a purposeful thing on the part of John Cooper to say, "No, you got Florida on Sunday." To McElhaney. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe it was that. Maybe it was he wanted to give Vasilevsky the first day of the, the back-to-back. Um, Could be. We've seen him give, give it to McElhaney. I think Vasilevsky is going to play all three games this coming week, Tuesday and Thursday in Dallas, and then at Carolina on Saturday. So so, pro- so that's a run there. So, so maybe yeah. because he'll probably play Vasilevsky in all three of those, he wanted McElhaney to get the second game. I, I guess I, you know, who knows why they decided that. I would have, you know, when I looked at the schedule, and we talked about this last you know, last week on the podcast, I would have thought McElhaney would have started Saturday and Vassy Sunday, if nothing else mm-hmm. for the less than 48-hour turnaround to the game on Saturday because it was a 4 o'clock start, not a 7 That's o'clock right. start like the Saturday night, uh, the Thursday night game. So, mm-hmm. um, But luckily Vasilevsky was in on Thursday or Saturday because yeah. they won the second quarter or the second period. I'm watching basketball. They won the second period 3 uh, nothing, but they got outplayed. Bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they made. They were outshot two to one at one point. You know, the shots they made were some beautiful plays, and and so mm-hmm. you know they had some some chances, but they were outplayed in that period. Yet they came out with a four nothing lead at the end of the second period uh, right. because Vasilevsky was so good in that game, and he set a franchise tied a franchise record, set his personal best eleven straight win, eleven straight wins, uh, which ties Louis Deming. Of course, everyone remembers mm-hmm. he had the record. So, right uh, when Vasilevsky was hurt a couple seasons ago, so. Um, you know, Vassy covers up so much on the back end. I mean, he is. You hear the complaints about McElhaney, and and I think in some cases they haven't played as well in front of him. But the 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 fact of the matter is, I, sometimes sometimes I wonder: is the Lightning's defense as good as we think it is, or is it just Vasilevsky covers up so much? And 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 I don't I, think the Lightning's defense is bad. Don't don't get me wrong when I say that, but. You know they're leading. No, or, I know or, or they're one saying. of the tops in, in in hockey and goals against right now. And that and is that because they play really good defense. I mean, they have some great defensemen and Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough and Chernak has improved so much this year and, and become better. And, and Sergachev's really good too. But their style and that I mean, they give up a lot. And that Vasilevsky eats it up. And when they try to play the same way in front of McElhaney, he's just not as good as eating him up. And it's not McElhaney's bad. He's just not Andre Vasilevsky because nobody is. Right. And and so it, it can look bad at times because because of just how good Vasilevsky is back there. Right. I thought he was I thought McElhaney was very, very good in this game. And the couple goals that he let in, I think, were tipped. Um, he, he was shielded uh, for the most part. Um, they, they weren't they weren't soft goals by any stretch. And he made. He made some incredible saves. I mean, some some really game saving type saves. They also, you know, it's a game of inches, right? So they had they had one goal uh, Florida did taken away because of an of a um, uh, offsides. Um, yep, an offsides. Yeah, yeah. and Sunday, it was close, yep. but it but it was it was definitely a replay. It was offsides, and then um, another one. You know, the puck nearly nearly got across the line. It wasn't completely across, so therefore they disallowed the goal after they had called it one. So it was a game of inches, but um, he was really, really good, as was for the whole weekend. How about that fourth line that the Lightning have going right now? I really like Ross Colton on that line. Now, Matthew Joseph's having a great year, and he's played some center on that line, but he's not a natural centerman. He played some in juniors, but he's been a winger the whole time. And he's playing center, and he's doing an okay job. Mm -hmm. But you put Ross Colton on that line now, who is a center, and allow Joseph to play wing where he's – more comfortable, natural, and has played most of his career. And they really play well together with Pat Maroon. And it's – I 
I, I thought when they called up Barry Boulay and Ross Colton, I mean, we've always kind of liked Colton's game, but I thought Barry Boulay would be the player that would impress us the most. Right. But Ross Colton, and, and part of this reason is, it's not that Barry Boulay's bad, and he's going he's gonna to be a big player on this Lightning team at some point in his career. Ross Colton projects as a third or fourth liner. He's not projected to be a top six forward like Barry Boulay is. So sometimes when guys like Barry Boulay come up and play on the fourth line, they don't, they don't do as well as you expect. And it's because they're not playing their game. They're playing a different type of game. They're used to be – Alex Volkoff may be that issue, and he's been you know a healthy scratch for several games now, kind of because Ross Colton's playing so well there. Volkoff is not projected to be a fourth-line guy. He's projected to be more of a top six, top nine forward. But, he's tr- but the only place to play on this team is the, the fourth line because of how many forwards this team has and how good they are up front. And so but Ross Colton being more of a fourth-line type of center – is is really standing out and doing well and the goals but but the goals and the scoring and and you got another point on Sunday but it's the defensive positioning and he's he's where he should be and he makes the smart play and the right play and it's really impressive through I think what he's played six games to this point six or seven at this point now um, I really like what he adds to that fourth line and it'll be very interesting assuming no injuries, whatever else, you know, when Mitchell Stevens is healthy and ready to come back, how it all shakes out. I think they really like Colton, and I I wouldn't be surprised if he stays around for a while. Um, You know, I don't know how the roster works out and all of that, but, man, he's – He's a good player, and he, and he, it, it, you know, the game obviously doesn't look too big for him at all, and he's helped them go. I, I thought that, um, you know, look, there. You've said this before, you know, the playoffs is what's going to matter. They're going to make the playoffs. Um, you know, them, them in Florida. I think they have three games left. I think the last two of the season, as it's scheduled now, at least without COVID. Who knows what will ultimately happen? And they're supposed to play Florida the final two games. They have four games when left they, of Florida this year. So yeah, when these teams meet, if they do mm-hmm. meet in the postseason, it's going to be on because they've never they've that's never happened before. I guess Florida and the Lightning have not gone at it. No, there was uh, a chance in, in a couple years ago that they could have met, and then the Islanders knocked off the Panthers in the first round. Right. And so it, they, it didn't happen. The first thing I told Brian Engblom when he walked in the booth after the game today to do the the last call show, I said. Mm-hmm. I'll take seven games between these two teams. And he went, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He went, oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, that would be fun. Um, yeah. Florida's a much better team than they've been, a lot faster than they've been. I mean, they kind of, they've remade this roster. Joel Quinville's a great coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I still think the Lightning have more talent or the better team, but Florida plays hard. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't stop. They go, go, go. Um you know, I it, look. You get a playoff series between these two; it would be a lot of fun this year. And and there's a good chance it's going to happen. I mean, right? Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina are going to be the top three seeds in this division, barring some c- big collapse by one of the three teams, and that would most right. likely have to be because of injury or whatever else. Mm-hmm. One of the teams will play the four seed; the other two will play each other, and then you know, so you know, they could face in the first round. Although at the standings right now, the Lightning would play the Blackhawks to start, and Florida would play Carolina. Right. And if Florida gets by Carolina, then, you know, it would be a fun series. Absolutely. And and maybe start a rivalry. I mean, that, we know that rivalries in hockey are started in the playoffs. Sure. Absolutely. And I think as many times as they're going to play them and they still have four left, these games have all been good. I think uh, most of the time the winning team scores five goals. <laughs> which, uh, every game so far this year. Yeah. So it's been – 
it's been wide open. You know, it's been up and down the ice, and it's like you said, it's an entertaining brand of of hockey when they get together. I would hope you hope they don't have to meet each other in the first round. I guess that's possible, but um, you hope they they get to do it later on. But well, man, if they mean the first round, that means they're the second and the third seat, and Carolina won the division, right? And Carolina would have won it, yeah. And most likely, one of those teams is going to win the division; the other one won't. But um, you know, every time they play, this was a big game Sunday. I mean, at the end of a long stretch, sort of for for. Uh, you know, for the lightning and, and they're able to, yeah, let's not to, forget. I mean, this was five and seven days, mm-hmm. two back to backs in this week and they went right. four and one pretty good. I, you know, you can't ask for better than that. Um, this team's still, you know, the top team in hockey, the best record, mm-hmm. I believe they have the best points percentage. Now I think they passed Vegas with the win today. Right. On Sunday. Um, you can't really, I mean, and, and now the biggest question out of Sunday is Ryan McDonough. Yeah, they who, lost him. Who, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't see anything that happened. He did not come out for the second period. And John right. Cooper, after the game, just said that something happened in the first period and just couldn't go. No update. Uh, lower body injury is the official designation. So, um, you know, that's the, you know, you don't want to lose a guy like that for a long period of time. Um, now, right. you know, if he needs to take a couple games off, fine. I mean, you know, that's, that's the whole thing is, and the Lightning are in a great position right now. And this schedule is is highly condensed. This week being the most drastic of it, five and seven games. But you know they can afford to sit players if they need. You know, if if Victor Hedman's tired, you know, sit him a game. If right. if they lose a game here and there, it's not going to matter at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd like to finish first in the division simply because you don't want to face Florida or Carolina in the first round. Right. I think I'd you know I'd rather face Chicago or Dallas or Columbus, whichever one of those three takes the fourth seed, assuming you know there's not a big fall off by one team. Right. But if you finish second and you have to face Carolina or Florida in the first round, it's okay. I mean, everything they do now is about gearing towards. And I've I've said this a lot. You know, this was game thirty-one. They weren't concerned about game thirty-one. They're concerned about game fifty-seven. It's a 56-game schedule. They're concerned about the first game of the playoffs at this point. They're going to make the playoffs. They've built themselves a big enough lead. And, you know, when you're only playing division foes, it's hard to catch up unless you win every game. Because mm-hmm. every time you lose, you're, you're losing points to someone in the division. You know, you're over halfway through the season, and it's pretty clear there's three top teams in this division. And the four, top four teams make it. So, you know, yeah. it, it's about getting ready for the playoffs and, and – do you want to see Andreas Borgman a few more times on de- defense to see what he gives you? You know, last year in the in the bubble they had they used what nine defensemen in the playoffs. You know, right now they have seven and eight with Borgman, who's played one game. You know, they need to see what what do they have in him because you're going to need more than six guys come playoff time. So, yeah, um, and I'm with you because like Victor Hedman played 27 minutes plus, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because of the injury to McDonough and and. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, that's that's going to take yeah. a toll on you. Yeah, if you need to rest Stamkos, who's a little older and stuff, if he needs mm-hmm. a day off, give it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, you know, anybody, Braden Point, whatever. I mean, you know, and, and that's up for the coaches and the players to know if, you know, they're fatigued or just need a mental right. day or whatever it is. I mean, we've seen him do that with Andre Vasilevsky where he's been not even, you know, he's been a healthy scratch and they bring up Christopher Gibson to be the backup on the bench. So he didn't even have to dress in that. You know, you can do that with some other players too as you come down the stretch here. Um, you know, they're not going to, you know, Hedman's not going to miss five, six games that way. And my guess is Hedman won't want to sit out any of them and he probably won't, but if you want to, or feel you need to, or, you know, you have that luxury now that, you know, the, you know, 
the what do they call it in in the NBA? You know, maintenance day or whatever it is. Right. Um, you know, you can do that a little bit if you're the Lightning, and, and and particularly because of how condensed the schedule, how many games you're playing a week. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I think John Cooper said normally in a month we play, you know, thirteen games, fourteen. Well, we're playing fifteen, sixteen, seventeen a month now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's that's a big difference for players. You know, it's a lot of wear and tear. Load management. That's it. That's the term I can't remember. Yeah, load management. Got to manage the load, and uh, they've had quite a quite a load to pull. And wouldn't you know, we we talked about these this division realignment to try to cut down on travel. And you thought, well, you know, they got out of a really tough division. Mm -hmm. It turns out they're in the toughest division um, in the Eastern Conference. But you know, for all the games, I mean, that's the thing. Like they entered Sunday, and as great a start as as you know the Lightning have ever had through this many games. Florida was two points behind them, mm-hmm. you know. So it shows it goes to show you how great they've been, they've started. Yeah, and Carolina's right on their heels too. I mean, they're you know these mm-hmm. three teams have really done well and taken off. And like I said, there's a huge separation in this division between you know those three and then everybody else. Yeah, there sure is. So we'll see how they do. They're on their way to uh, Dallas. They're going to play there Tuesday night. Yeah, got a more normal and, uh, week. Just three games this week. So that's <laughs> that's right. Unbelievable, man! This this condensed season is. Uh, you wonder where it's going to take its toll, but uh, they still have still have a good ways to go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, going to mention, uh, that, uh, if you hadn't had a chance to see it on Tampa Bay.com, Tampa Bay times, I wrote a story on Sunday, the NFL films, which does an unbelievable job, right. And through the years, I think they've had as much to do with the success and the marketing of the NFL as anything, right. With Steve Sable and his dad starting that mm-hmm. some time ago. I mean, you have, um, you know, going all the way back to, you know, the voice of the NFL films, John Facenda and, um, then the music. there was uh, Harry, Harry Callis and yeah, the, the music, the slow motion, the or, orchestra, uh, treatment that they give to, um, you know, to big plays and the percussion and all of that. Uh, nobody does it better. Um, and it, it is always, you know, whether you're talking about highlights or highlight movies, um, documentaries, you know, all those things they do, they've just been the best marketing arm. I think that the NFL has through the years, and we've all seen, you know, the immaculate reception in slow mo, uh, reception in slow motion, all those iconic plays, right, throughout the years. Well, um, the the NFL has put together and is uh, ready to distribute and sell um, the Buccaneers Super Bowl Fifty Five uh, highlight film. It's available on DVD and Blu-ray starting Tuesday, and that's wherever you get your DVDs and your Blu-ray, also on digital. And I'm here to tell you, I've watched this thing about three times. Um, and they did such a good job. Of course, they do a good job with all of this. But it, it was really fascinating um, to sort of talk to Todd Schmidt, who is a senior producer of NFL Films, about how these are made, um, you know, how, how much film they use, uh, and then and then what you're able to glean from you know, just the incredible sideline sound that they got and the mic'd up um, sound that they got from certain players. And some of that you've heard already and some you haven't. But just to give you an idea, so the NFL, they shoot about 3,000 hours of game footage. 
Um, that's about 125 days of highlights and game footage. And so you have that, the sound, the interviews, post-game, um, all of that. And they put it all together in a 75-minute uh, documentary. And the thing about it is, you know, by the time the Super Bowl is played, they actually have um, two, two complete teams of producers that do two films, uh, one on the AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs in this case, and one on the Buccaneers. And everything is done, the movie is done, with the exception of who wins the Super Bowl. That's the only part they're missing, which is a pretty large part, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but but a, a vast majority of the film has already taken its shape. You kind of have themes. You sort of you know know what the storylines are, and they're just waiting for the final game. And then, of course, you know the team that loses in this case, the Chiefs. It's like those hats and T-shirts that they print. You know that end up going to some third world country. So Nobody they send the videos to, to, to third <laughs> no. world countries. Is that what they do? <laughs> no, but it's like that. Only they don't send it to them. I guess they could if they were Chiefs fans down there. But uh, they basically, you know, they die on the cutting room floor. But it's an awful lot of work uh, that that goes down. And and, and Todd, uh, when I was talking to him, he said, "Look, I I always decide." for myself what the best movie is before the Super Bowl is played and I root for the best movie and he said that the best movie in his opinion was the Buccaneers and of course you know they they had the best ending too um but it really is uh it really is fascinating work and I know that that Bucks fans are going to want to go get this uh, I'm not getting any residuals from the NFL for uh, for writing a, a column about it um but some of the things that you know what they did well with it, well, first of all, the, the movie starts, and I thought this was interesting because I talked to Todd about this. I said, you know, you picked an interesting place to start. They started with the Bucks winning in San Diego Super Bowl thirty seven, eighteen 18 years earlier. And they showed some of the highlights of, of that last uh, Super Bowl win, really the last playoff win until this year, if you can believe that. So you, you get a, a, a sort of a historical perspective on how long it has been, and also, you know, that was sort of the center point for the franchise um, coming into real prominence. I mean, obviously, there had been, you know, he, he said we had some choices. We could have started at 76 with all the blooper reels, but we'd already done so much of that, and that seems so long ago. We could have started with Tony Dungy's teams in 97 going to playoffs, 99 going to the championship game. We thought hard about that, but then we said, no, let's let's go back to when they were relevant, when they were – uh, when they won their first Super Bowl. And then, you know, you have all those years that elapsed in between 18 years later. Um, and then, of course, it, it goes chronological for the most part. And it, it starts with, you know, obviously, you know, Tom Brady coming here and, you know, him signing what he said when he did, what he, and then Gronkowski and what he said about Brady. Uh, and then they go through the season. And, you know, even though I lived it, even though, I'm consumed by it because it's my job. Um, there are things you learn, uh, some, some of the conversations that go on on the sideline that maybe confirm what you were seeing. Um, but, but there's also some real impressions that you're left with. First of all, this team was at a major crossroads, and we all know it. They were 7-5, and five. and not just 7-5, and five, but they were 7-5 and five having lost three out of four. Now, two of those losses were to the Chiefs, uh, and to the Rams by three points each. So they were very competitive games. But nonetheless, when they went into a bye week, um, they were had the same record as the Miami Dolphins, you know, 
who ended up far from the playoffs. So when you think about it, like in those terms, um, how they were able to come together and just, you know, slowly build this thing and, and get on a roll starting, you know, with the Minnesota game and then twice against Atlanta and, um, you know, uh, destroyed Detroit and all of that. But even while you're watching that, you're not seeing the same team that you're about to see in the postseason. And, and, and you know, the thing, you, it, it's just that Brady made such a difference and he made so many plays. And he never doubted, really, that they were going to go to a Super Bowl. And you can just see his, I guess what comes through is his singular focus and not about the next game, but about the next play. I mean, he is so process-oriented that it eventually spreads to the team. And you can literally hear that uh, in the huddle. And then you see, you know, there were moments in this season that were just huge, you know, um, they're trailing ten to nothing to the Packers, and Jamel Dean gets a pick six, and then Todd. You know, there's a first interception of Aaron Rodgers all year at that point, and you know Todd Bowles says, "Okay, we got a turnover now. Let's get after him." And they get another interception on the next series, you know. And then after the game, Brady and Rodgers meet at midfield, and and Rodgers says, "Hey, you guys got a good team." He says, "We'll see you down the line," meaning, you know, we're probably going to meet you again. And of course, that that was. Uh, a good prediction by him because we all know that they did. Um, they do a nice job in the storyline about the Washington football team and Chase Young, you know, after uh, they clinched the playoff spot saying, I want Brady. So they're locked in this game. And, you know, um, Tyler Heineke is, you know, coming out of nowhere, running all over the place. And Brady just, you know, is talking about Young. And he just calmly tells his his offensive line, he says, look, we can't let this guy jump around blocks. That's all he's going to do all day. Let, let's just you know, pound them with the bleeping running game. It'll turn the whole game around if we can do both. We're doing a decent job in the pass game. The protection's amazing. We just got to do a little better in the run game. Just stay with them a little bit longer. And then they start running the ball with Fournette. Then the play action works. Um, you know, Devin White calling his shot before his interception at New Orleans when he says, I'm going to take over the game. I'm going to put the dagger in them. Just watch. And then I thought this was fascinating to me. Before he does put the dagger in with his interception of Drew Brees, as soon as Brees lets the ball go for Alvin Kamara, who is not aware that he's supposed to break the route off or he keeps going, and that's when White undercuts it, as soon as Brees throws the ball, you hear him plain as day yell, Alvin! You know, it was just so shocking to hear a quarterback let the ball go and go, Alvin! Like, turn around, man. Um you know, and it just the sound is from is you know terrific when you get in the postseason and you know Matt Lafleur um, saying, "Hey, Brady's coming out; they're going to go for it," and, he's, and then they throw the the deep ball to Scotty Miller, and um, you know they they cut to Lafleur, and he's like, "Man, he just he just ran right by him," and um, you know, and then of course Super Bowl Fifty Five uh, is is terrific and. You know, again, Brady is that in-the-moment guy telling his team, you know what to do. Uh, you know, we already know the answers to the test and, and all of that. And, and he goes and checks on his receivers. Hey, you guys good on everything. It's going to be this, this, this. Um, and then there, and then at the end, I think what you're left with is just the affection that these guys had for one another and, and you know, the immense respect. Like, there's great sound from Devin White, who'd been there nine years and never made a playoffs. There's you mean you know, a David. moment. 
or Levante David. I'm sorry, I said Devin White. Levante David. There's a moment between Sue and Levante David that is second to almost none. What he, what Sue says to David, um, you know, all the Brady stuff. I mean, at one point Evans goes up to Brady after the Super Bowl win, and he goes, "Hey, big man, big man, I love you. You're the goat. I love you, man. Thank you so much. You know, like this is just what we want. Like they're thanking Brady." For giving them, you know, really good players like David, like Evans, all these guys who have been chasing a ring throughout their entire careers, and now this guy came and in one season he delivers. It's an unbelievable film if you're a Bucks fan. It it really, I thought they did just a great job of of capturing, um, you know, sort of the 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 highs and and the very low lows. I mean, there were some real, real tough uh, tough moments in that you know in that season. Um, that they did a nice job of capturing. And it shows, you know, just how they were able to overcome, you know, some of the, the things that, that they were going through to have, you know, to have an unbelievable year. So everybody said that this was like, you know, nobody would believe it, right, if it was a movie script. Well, they did the movie, and it's it's very believable, but it's also unbelievable that that the Bucks were able to pull this off. And, um, and during a pandemic as well, I mean, that's the part that really isn't, I thought they could have done a little bit more of showing, you know, some during the week situation, what these guys had to go through with testing, with protocols and all of that. They kind of stayed away from it. You wouldn't know really that there was a pandemic, that this thing was played under the most adverse conditions. I thought that was a little sanitized, but it's the NFL and, you know, they can do what they want with their product, but you're still going to enjoy it. So, Well, here's my um, question. Mm-hmm. Do we finally hear the Brady and Mathow audio from the Super Bowl? You do not. I, yeah, I, I pretty much knew the answer, but yeah, you do not. And I, and I, you know, look, I don't know what he. I mean, I still don't know what he said. I guess there's been some mic'd up uh, transcripts of that somewhere. I haven't seen exactly what was said to him. Um, I don't think it's as bad as some people imagine, but maybe it was worse. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Um, it, I would have. I would have liked to have had it because Brady was mic'd up for the Super Bowl. You can hear Brady at least on the sideline. And on the field too, I think he was mic'd up for the game, and they absolutely could have could have told you what what he said to uh, to Tyron, but um, we didn't get to hear it, and um, I don't know why. I, again, I can remember uh, this was funny, you know, that when the Bucks played in the Super Bowl against against the Raiders, uh, Jerry Rice was mic'd up for the Raiders, and I didn't know Jerry at the time. I came to know him very well now, of course, but. You know, Jerry had never lost a Super Bowl until that game, and they the, as soon as the game was over, the next day I get a call from somebody who was like a deep throat at NFL Films, and she she identified herself as such. She goes, look, I work for NFL Films. I'm not supposed to be calling you. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I just want you to know that Jerry Rice took off his mic at halftime and just threw it down in the locker room and this, that, and the other, and he wouldn't wear the mic and so on and so forth. Um, I've asked Jerry about it. He's got a little different story, but, um, but you know, you, you find out these things that, uh, you know, that don't make it, that, that end up on the cutting room floor. So one day there will be audio that we'll all hear of what Brady said to Tyron Matthew, but, um, you know, that one's, that one's been pretty much covered up, uh, however, or for whatever reason, I haven't, haven't seen a clean version of, uh, of that sound just yet. So, but you'll definitely enjoy it. You'll definitely want to get a, a copy of it if you're a Bucks fan. And again, um, I've watched it two or three times, and every time I do, 
I pick up a little something extra that I didn't know or that I hadn't heard before. So, Meanwhile, uh, let's go to the race real quick. We'll wrap up on this. Uh, so G-Man Choi has a little knee issue. May not see him for opening day. Is that right? Yeah, it sounds like uh, no G-Man for opening day, but uh, yeah. they, have plenty of, they have a deep roster. So, I mean, that's they do. pretty much every infielder can play any position at this point. So, Yeah. Yeah, the, the day-to-day lineup, you know, that's the thing. Like, the pitching has been – of course, pitching is always what spring training is about to get these guys, you know, built up to where they can go, uh, you know, hundred something innings each. But um, and that's going to be interesting to see how they finally put that together. One thing that's uh, something to look out for today, Brent Honeywell. This is a kid that you know they had such high hopes for, and he's had a series of of arm injuries, including Tommy John and some other surgeries on his elbow. He's going to pitch in a game against the Red Sox, I believe. The first. I guess competitive game uh, on the mound against another team that he's had since 2018. If you can believe that, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. you know this this was a guy that was going to be in the opening day rotation. What the year that they were supposed to lose a hundred games because they yeah. traded everybody, right? And they ended up you know winning ninety or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. He was supposed to be in the opening day rotation, but then you know ended up with Tommy John surgery before the season, right? And then the next season was supposed to start making an impact and had another you know, arm problem. And, and it's just, and then, you know, COVID last year and, and more issues. And, you know, he, he's a, a top prospect. He was in the, you know, the, the prospects game at the all-star game a few seasons ago. He's been yeah, one of the best pitching prospects they've had for years. Um, the fact that he's going to get into a game for the first time in three seasons now is, is, is great. And, you know, I, I don't know where he is in his progress as far as where he may play this year yet and that, but Mm-hmm. The fact that he is getting back to form and, and enough to where they're going to put him in a spring training game is fantastic. And just it, it, it was weird because we, you know me and you would go to these fan fests and we usually have a a booth there for the podcast. And I think I talked to him two years in a row. You want to talk about a guy that uh, loves baseball now? I mean, mm-hmm. just eaten up with wanting to perform, confidence for days. Um, yeah. No, you know, almost, almost like you can't wait to see him pitch. Like you really can't. Like when this guy gets on the mound and he has his stuff back, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, he's gonna be must see TV. I mean, he's just gonna be that kind of gritty performer that everybody loves to see. He's gonna attack guys, and um, he loves, loves baseball. And um, he's been through a lot, and you, you just root for people like that to come through those injuries through no fault of his own, um, but a bright prospect, and it's a big step for him to be able to pitch in this game today so we wish him well all right so what do we got for the week uh i would imagine we'll we'll catch up with my former radio partner tom jones at some point yeah we will we'll start uh we got lightning playing all week the rays uh what the last full week of spring training because opening day is is, uh, 10 days away next thursday where they start on the road they've started at home so much lately so they'll start in Florida. I know the they home start, opener's not. They till, start in, uh, in Miami. Yeah, the home yeah. opener won't be for another week after that. So, uh, but yeah, I think it's on a Thursday against the Yankees. Thir- I think it's a Friday actually. The ninth. So, yep. Is there a Friday? Okay, yep. Friday against the Yankees. Okay. Yep. So uh, we got that. We'll have Tom Jones this week, of course, as usual, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll see yeah. what else pops up. More March Madness. Uh, it's weird. We it, could do that. Don't don't forget. There's games today. I mean, this is uh, they with COVID. They pushed everything back a little bit. So the first two rounds are Friday through Monday instead of Thursday through Sunday. So a little right. weird to have games on Monday for the March Madness outside the championship game, which is always a Monday. But 
Yeah, and we'll we'll touch base more on uh, USF and uh, you know the situation uh, with the women uh, as as we're doing this podcast. There's about five minutes left. They're up by a couple of points over Washington State, but this game was too close for us to to really comment on. But I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be following that. And Joey Knight will have a story this morning in TampaBay.com, Tampa Bay Times. It's unfortunate they were uh, seated as low as they were. I think they deserved uh, maybe a, a better outcome. They're eventually going to run into the number one seed here quickly, but if they were to advance. Um, so we'll be talking about Jose Hernandez, uh, Fernandez's crew as well. So glad you could join us. We're here every Monday through Friday, and uh, we'll also probably do a mailbag, I would assume, but you don't have to wait for one. You can send us your questions about anything, really, the Bucks, the Rays, the Bolts. Uh, college football, basketball, you name it. You can do that by uh, sending them to us on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 